This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Friends. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. At long last tonight, we reached the end of the series on the Paramitas. There were 14. It took up the whole summer and beyond. And we finish with knowledge. And as I've thought about how to talk about knowledge, I, I find myself going back to three points. So, in order that I might keep things somewhat organized, I'll try to do tonight's talk in three parts. Act one, you know a lot. Knowledge is not bad, and we have a lot of it. You know more as an average citizen of the world. I don't mean that as an insult. But as an average citizen of the world, you know more than almost anyone in human history about the way the world works. You know that the earth revolves around the sun. And even if you don't have medical training, you understand in a basic way the causes and conditions of disease and how it can be transmitted. You understand things about other people's difficulties that in the past no one could have understood. And so you might meet someone who strikes you as unusual or off-putting and be told, oh, he's autistic. And you can apply lots of knowledge, passive knowledge, and say, oh, I understand that as a category of experience. And I can make room for that category of experience. Whereas in the past, we might not have found any place for that person. We lack the knowledge. The Dalai Lama famously, and I I know I've told this story and everyone hears it so many times, but was asked... What would happen if science were to disprove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, some aspect of Buddhist teachings? And his response was, well, then we would change Buddhism. That's one of the most significant religious statements in history. We rest on that. We understand that there is more to understand. And we understand that we cannot assert a truth out of faith. It has to stand up. It has to stand up to scrutiny. 
It's an incredible gift that we have. In terms of Buddhism, either we know or we can easily know more about the world of Buddhism than anyone ever has. And so even if we are deeply committed to just one path and just one practice, we can contextualize it in a way that even a hundred years ago was unimaginable. That's knowledge. That's the power of knowledge. Knowledge, for the purpose of this conversation, being essentially the opposite of ignorance. Not necessarily wisdom. Things that we can observe to be true. We can be grateful. And we can recognize that it gives us tremendous power. Act two. You know too much. We are fed information in a way that no one ever has been in history. And we are not fed that information necessarily for our benefit or so that we might deepen our knowledge in order to be more skillful in the world. People who create junk food know exactly what it does. It's addictive. We can, because of knowledge, because of our scientific knowledge, we can understand why you can't eat just one chip. And, and there's a reason that something on Facebook keeps telling me that sugar is eight times more addictive than cocaine. I don't know if that number is true, but it's addictive. Right? It triggers something in the brain so that you want more of it, even though it is not the thing that you need. Well, for the first time in our long human history, we have figured out how to package information in the same way. There is an industry that wants me very badly to know what dress a certain celebrity wore last night. And then that same industry wants me to know that someone else wore the same dress two months before, and then they want me to evaluate for myself, but more likely for their own purposes, who wore it better. (laughs) And when I'm done with that, and I've scrolled to the bottom of the page, they want me to click on any one of four other stories that will feed my mind for another 20 seconds at which point I will be offered more and more and more. And this serves them. And while I'm doing this, I'm being offered advertisements that I think I'm not reading, but I am. Always. So 
So while we do know more about the workings of the world in a way that is incredibly profound, we also know more trivia than our ancestors could ever have imagined. And we learn it in real time. (laughs) I know what somebody wore today. Mm -hmm. My attention is called to that. I'm called to understand current events, even the ones that matter, in real time. And there is no limit. I can spend my entire day consuming information. And I will never, never, never come close to running out what the machine is offering me. And what do we do with this? If we're lucky, we have a partner or a friend and we go to them with some sort of trivia and we say, I read something interesting today, and we share it. Now they have it. If we're lucky, they don't read all the same things we do because then they can tell us something we didn't hear. Now we have new trivia. I'm fond of talking about this, and again, it's because it's personal. But whenever we spend time doing one thing, we are not spending that time doing another thing. (laughs) There is no bad knowledge. There is nothing that we should not know. There is nothing that should be hidden or obscured. It's like money, Uh right? Money is neutral. A dollar bill is neutral. I shouldn't say dollar bill. I mean Canada. Money doesn't hurt anyone by itself. It's our relationship to it. We are asked in a unique way to investigate our relationship to information. To what we are seeking and what we are digesting and why. And whether it is becoming part of our knowledge in a profound way or whether it's distracting us. Act three, you don't know much. This tradition has always found its center of gravity in not knowing. That's not the same as ignorance. Bodhidharma stood before Emperor Wu and embarrassed him. And Emperor Wu said, Who is it standing before me? 
And Buddha Dharma said, I don't know. Literally, he said, don't know. And an entire religion, if we want to call it that, sprang up from that. (laughs) It is at the center. When we act out what's called uh, sometimes Dharma combat, in most of those ceremonies, the ceremony begins by reading that story so that the person, the monk, who is expected to be tested, whose knowledge is expected to be tested, whose practice is expected to be tested, whose wisdom is expected to be tested, stands there and says, my exemplum in this practice is the one who said, I don't know. (laughs) Bam. And then he bangs a staff and he receives questions. And responds from that place. It's a hard balance. There's a perception within Zen and outside of it, looking at Zen, that Zen is anti-intellectual. Part of this comes from this celebration of not knowing, and part of it is because we sometimes hold up heroes who were the opposite of scholars. They were illiterate. They came from simple backgrounds. They weren't walking in with a knowledge of the sutras, and yet they grasped what needed to be grasped. And those stories are important. Because they point to a kind of caution. The reality is that most of the heroes of the Zen tradition were also scholars. They were scholar monks. But we remember this kind of ancient distrust of scholarship because you can you can know not too much but you can get lost in knowing and you can start to think that if you understand the historical and cultural and linguistic context of a certain teaching that you understand that teaching and Zen says no <laughs> don't kid yourself You have to know it for you. It has to be real to you. In the Korean tradition, they've taken this phrase, don't know, and they've made it into a practice in itself. So that, and I recommend that everybody try this at some point, because it's quite profound. Sitting on your cushion as you breathe in, You ask yourself, what is this? And as you breathe out, you reply to yourself, don't know. Do that for 30 minutes. That not knowing becomes very spacious. that not knowing becomes really big. It starts to take up more space than the things that you think you know. And within that not knowing, there's something to discover. 
as with a lot of these paramitas, if you look at them in a traditional context, if you look at the way they've been written about in different traditions over the years, you find that they're very concrete. And so if I wanted to, I could come in here and I could explain to you about the eight knowledges of this tradition or the twelve knowledges of this tradition. That's interesting, but I don't think it helps. Because the perfection of knowledge cannot be achieved through gaining more knowledge. (laughs) It's about creating the space in which something new can enter in which you're capable of receiving new information. Not just trivia. Not the thing that someone is begging you to look at, but the thing that has always been in front of you. The thing that is in front of you even when you sleep but that you can't see. To really not know is to open your eyes just a little bit to that thing. And it is the hardest thing. And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.